Well, tonight, would you join me in 1 Samuel chapter 18? 1 Samuel 18. In thinking about this morning's message, as well as our conversation tonight on our guest experiences, one of the thoughts on our core values is cultivating proper connections. It says that we understand the importance of living out the Christian journey with encouraged relationships within the body of Christ while avoiding the trap of isolation. Tonight, we're going to look at this thought of spiritual friendships. It's so important that we as Christians look at these healthy relationships within the body of Christ. We know the importance of reaching more people is before us, and if now more than ever, it is certainly apparent that God has given us not only a responsibility, but an opportunity. There are a lot of communities with churches like ours that are just wishing and hoping for somebody new to move into their community. And God is giving us U-Haul, rider trucks, and budget trucks all the time, moving into our community, being unloaded with people's furniture and boxes. And so what a neat privilege and opportunity that is. But tonight, on Sunday night, through several weeks of messages, I want us to pause and look at this thought of spiritual friendship. Because though it is important for us to be reaching more people, it is just as important that God allows us and gives us opportunities as a church body to be strengthened and encouraged, refreshed and challenged within our church body. And in that is spiritual friendships. As was noted this morning, that more than ever before, people are finding themselves to be more and more lonely. They're finding that they have very shallow friendships, if any relationship, that they're lacking a strong support group, and very little connection with meaningful relationships. Now, that should not happen within a culture of a church family. For the body of Christ is one that is supportive and relational, one that is doing and traveling spiritual life together. And really, within any Christian home, we would find spiritual friendships already built into that environment. When I think about my little home of four of us, I see my wife as a partner, not only just in ministry, but as a friend in our Christian journey. And so we want to read together. We want to study together. We want to talk together and laugh together. We want to talk about meaningful spiritual things that shape us and mold us and sharpen us. With our girls who are now 10 and 7, we want them to be spiritually discerning as well as poured into. And so we can constantly, continually want to have conversations with them of things that are coming in the future or things that they face now because of this spiritual friendship that we have with them as a sister in Christ. And so within our own homes, we would see this beautiful picture of spiritual friendships. But then as we get outside of the home, we come into a culture of a church family. And here within this relationship that God has put together as the body of Christ, we would also find great opportunities to build meaningful relationships, meaningful connections that can help us through some of the very darkest journeys that can rejoice with us on the highest peaks, but that can also be sharpening to us at some moments in our life where we find great weakness. Those spiritual relationships and spiritual friendships are vital. They're important. And all through the scripture, we would find great examples that are given, stories that are relayed, and Jesus giving that prime example through his time in ministry here on earth. 
And so tonight we kind of launched this series with a story from the Old Testament of two men that were known as being great connected bonded friends, and that is Jonathan and David. When you look at these two men, there was a healthy friendship that was very selfless as well as very diverse. It was a friendship that was selfless and giving of itself in sacrificial ways, but it was also a relationship and connection that we'll see in just a moment that had a lot of variety to it. So here in our text in 1 Samuel chapter 18, we're going to look at these first four verses, and then in just a few moments, we'll jump to 1 Samuel chapter 20 and see some crucial thoughts about the continuation of their friendship, their relationship, and their journey together. In, in, in chapter 18, 1 Samuel, what has happened is, is David has come off of his debriefing with Saul over the capture or the, the overcoming of not only Goliath, but the Philistines. And as he's debriefing, of course, this is a pretty big deal in all of Israel, and they are shouting the praises of David for what he was able to accomplish through God's work. And now after this debriefing meeting, there is going to be this interaction with David and Jonathan. In chapter 18, verse 1, it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would let him go no more home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. Jonathan stripped himself, took off his robe that was upon him, and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. And here in this first section of um, 1 Samuel chapter 18, we immediately see this incredible connection. And so tonight, let's just begin a little bit of a journey through the next several weeks that I, my prayer would be encouragement to us and that we would be willing to take some self-evaluation on the reality or not that we have spiritual friendships in our life. Would you be willing for the next several weeks to journey with me, to be self-evaluating and asking God, would you reveal to me the type of friendships that I've surrounded myself with, and if they're meaningful in my spiritual life. So let's, let's ask God for his guidance as we go. Father, we pause to show our dependency on you for your wisdom and for your instruction. We do not want man's word tonight. We want the message from above. And so would you give us that clearly tonight? I thank you for a church family that grows in friendships, but we want them to be meaningful friendships. We want that connection and that partnership, that fellowship to be um, substantial and meaningful through life's journey. And so tonight, as we embark on the story of a very familiar text with Jonathan and David, would you bring to light some real thoughts that we would be willing to apply and to evaluate in our own experience in our own life? And we'll thank you and praise you for what you'll teach us and how you'll guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I remember growing up in Maine, there was a drink or continues to be a drink that some people will either love or they hate it. How many of you are familiar with the soda or the pop, wherever you're from? In the South, we call it all Coke. Um, how many of you are familiar with the drink called Moxie? Anybody familiar with the drink called Moxie? All right, this group over here and Gabby. Gabby, you need to get with all the holy ones over here. All right, so Moxie is a drink. I don't know if it's all in New England. Now, Rocket Fizz here at the Lakeside Village, they carry a lot of drinks. 
And of course, they have every weird flavor, um, armpit hair. I mean, they just get really ridiculous with their flavors. But Moxie is being carried at Rocket Fizz. Now, growing up, Moxie was one of those drinks where you either loved it or you hated it. Now, I remember that many people would just pretend like they loved it because it was the cool thing. That was kind of me at times. Now, I was 10 when we moved. And so uh, when we moved at 10, I just really never looked back. And I was free from Moxie. I was now in the South. Now, I was never converted to sweet tea. Keep it. I'll leave it, all right? So, but Moxie was left there. And why Moxie? Why does that come up? Well, David is kind of like that. David is one of those characters that all throughout his story, you either love him or you hate him. And here in this situation, we're going to find somebody that loved him, bonded and knit together with him. But then if we had time to really take on the whole context of what is delivered in 18, 19, and 20, you'll see somebody who strongly hated him. Now, David never changed in the midst of this circumstance. He was still the same guy. He did the same thing. He was just being used by God. And that became a factor that Jonathan loved, but Saul hated so desperately. When we think about these spiritual relationships or these spiritual friendships, there's really some important truths to how we find connection and bonds together. Tonight, as we look at this text, I want us to see a couple of things that I think will help us. Is first of all, that a friendship that sticks together through good and bad times can be defined as one of these spiritual friendships. A spiritual friendship is one that sticks together through good and bad. Look at verse number one. It came to pass when he had made the end of his speaking, the debriefing was done with King Saul, that the soul, the heart of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. Verse 2, so Saul took him that day, took David, and would let him go no more home to his father's house. That day, David ceased from being that shepherd boy to tend the sheep, and now the peasant farmer had become a guest in the kingdom. It's very interesting about what took place here because this was a friendship that was established with Jonathan that really stuck together. Did you see that word? It said that it was knit together. This word knit is one that is uh, really an important word to, to know about. It is intertwined together. It is one that is, is not going to be torn easily apart. A true spiritual relationship is one that is going to stick together through good and through bad. Let's just be honest. Our life it has a lot of good and it has a lot of bad. It has good moments and it has some really bad moments. It's had some highlights and some lowlights. There's a lot of things that happen within our life and certainly within our spiritual journey. And here we would find that these men were going to stick together. And this is even the word that we would use when we talk about, we use the word here a lot, connection. And we usually kind of describe the word connection as being one of a partnership or of one that is being knit together, that is not easily torn apart. That type of relationship is one that doesn't get easily offended by the other because of something that was said or something that was done or maybe a neglect or maybe some, something that happened. This is going to be one that is going to be brought together hard to break apart, hard to separate. That's who Jonathan and David were. Now, Jonathan had every right to absolutely hate David. Do you understand the story? Remember that it was Jonathan who was the king's son who should have been rightfully heir to the throne. But here in verse number two and three and four, we're going to find that Jonathan loved him and was bonded so tightly together that he took off 
of the garments that made him as royalty to pass them on to someone who was next in line by God's plan. Jonathan would have had every right to respond with negativity and bitterness toward David, but we'd see that this spiritual relationship responded with grace. We would also see that Jonathan responds in a sensitive way to God's leading. A spiritual relationship or a spiritual friendship is going to be one that is always sensitive to God's leading in somebody's life. Have you ever had to tell a friend of something big that was coming into your life, something that that God was doing or teaching you or maybe stretching you, and that individual had a really hard time accepting that because they lacked the sensitivity to God's leading? Now, you see, Jonathan and David were so knit together in a companionship that could not be separated by circumstances or by conversation. This was something that was tightly put together, and they were going to be sensitive to God's leading. Jonathan chose to trust God and to remain loyal to God's plan. You see, he helped David escape Saul's murderous plots. And so here we would find that he was being obedient to God's plan. I love the example that Jonathan gives us as someone who was truly selfless. When we think about the relationship between Jonathan and David, and David's always really one of those key heroes that we just think, boy, that relationship was probably put together because of who David was. But in all reality, when we see every piece of the puzzle put together, we see that Jonathan was the one who became humbled in this situation, who became sensitive to God's leading and who became so uh, moldable and obedient to God's plan that he bonded closely with David. Now we continue kind of with this thought here in verse number two because a spiritual friendship is one that brings diversity or variety. In verse number two, you'd say, well, I don't don't see what's going on here, but the fact is, is that Saul has said, You're not to leave the kingdom. My son loves you so much that I want you now to be a part of our family and to be a part of our life. I want what we do to be what you do and what you do be a part of what we do. This friendship that brought diversity is an interesting one because so often with Jonathan and David, we would think that there were a lot of similarities together. They were kind of brothers in, in, in war together we would think that they were banned together in this, sense, in this sense, but it was interesting in studying out a little bit about who Jonathan and David were, because I've always kind of just assumed that Jonathan and David were, were close in age. I've even read books or even read some commentaries who would say that maybe they were five years apart in age. And, and so when we see them on the flannel graph board back in Sunday school class, and we saw them on our coloring sheet in junior church... They kind of looked like two young men just doing life together and loving life to the fullest. But we would find actually through studying different passages, and I want to walk through these together, not that this is a major point of change or transformation for us, but I think it's interesting to learn together. But I believe that Saul, or excuse me, Jonathan and David were probably 25 to 28 years apart in age. Let's walk through it real quick. You see, it's easy to think that they were similar in age, but they really weren't. David was 30 years old when he became king. Took to, uh, take a look at 2 Samuel chapter 5. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to wander through some passages of Scripture because I want this to be Bible-proof and not Peter-proof because Peter-proof doesn't work for very much. 
So 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 4, David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. So we know that David did not take on the throne until what happened? King Saul had to die. So King Saul is gone. He has died. But you remember who died with him? His son, Jonathan. They died in war together. They were casualties of war. And so both Saul and Jonathan died. So when David takes on the throne, he is 30 years old when he becomes king. Now, Saul reigned for 40 years. I want to take you to a New Testament text, Acts chapter number 13. In Acts chapter number 13, this is all part of the equation and part of the puzzle pieces. So in Acts chapter number 13, verse 21, and afterward, they desired a king. So Luke is writing this, of the Acts of the Apostles, and he is referencing as Paul is preaching on the first Sabbath, and these are the words of Paul preaching this. And afterward, they desired a king, and God gave unto them Saul, the son of Sis, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of 40 years. So when Israel finally took on their first king, King Saul, he was 40 years old, okay? Now, Jonathan was already fighting with Saul during the third year of his father's reign. I want you to look at 1 Samuel chapter number 13. It would be convenient for us to think that Saul was a young man and just took on the throne, and then he began a family, and then as he had his family, they kind of grew up. It would kind of make all sense to us. But in all actuality, when Saul took the throne at 40, he already had a son named Jonathan. Look at chapter 13, verse 1. Saul reigned one year, one year into his Israelite throne. And when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose him 3,000 men of Israel, whereof 2,000 were with Saul, and 1,000 were with who? Jonathan. And the rest of the people he sent every man to his tent. So in the third year of his reign, he is going on into war, and he brings and gives responsibility to his son Jonathan to be a leader, to be a a general-like over a thousand men. We'd say, well, how old did Jonathan have to be in order to do that? Well, we would find in Numbers chapter 1, verse number 3, that gives us the context of the law of how old someone had to be in order to lead an army of people of Israel. In chapter 1 of verse number 3 of Numbers, from 20 years old and upward, all that Abel are to go forth to war in Israel. So we would see that Jonathan had to have been at least 20 years old in order to go into war, but also to lead a thousand men into war. This would have happened after the third year of the reign of Saul. So we would know that Saul was somewhere in the 42, 43 years of age. You say, well, okay, well, now, how does that, what does that relate with David? Well, we would find how old David was, or in what year that uh, he was born. It was in the 10th year of Saul's reign that David was born. So that would have made Jonathan some 27 to 28 years old when David was born. So now David is in the kingdom, he is in uh, the palace. And we would find that these two men have connected and they've become friends. That's why I would say that spiritual friendships have diversity. Let me ask you this question. Who in your life separated by 20, 25, 30 years of age, who in your life would you call a friend? Somebody that is either pouring into you or somebody that you're pouring into. 
You see, Jonathan and David, when they connected and knit together, this was not just some comrades. It was not just some buddies hanging out on the weekends. This was a man named Jonathan who was giving up everything that he probably had dreamt about that he might have gained as the palace and the kingdom, but now he was handing it over to David, even to the point where God was going to use Jonathan to pour into David's life. Years later, we would find that David, on the kingdom and in the throne, he would fall to prey of looking, lusting, and committing adultery with Bathsheba. But do you know what friend that had been in his life that was nowhere to be found? That was a man by the name of Jonathan. Nowhere in the scriptures, though David was not a perfect man, would we see any any great sin that David committed when he had that strong friendship and relationship is that spiritual friendship of Jonathan. That's not, again, to say that he was perfect, but at least he was on the right path, had that accountability, and had somebody pouring into his life. So when we think about our spiritual friendships that God puts into our life, think about who is it that you're pouring into or who is pouring into you? That's why we talk about that isolation has to be avoided in the spiritual journey and that we have to be constantly looking to see who we can partner with in order to do life together. It's a very interesting thought here about David being like a younger brother as Jonathan was willing and wanting to pour into him. The third thought here, and by the way, with this diversity issue, we're going to come back to this next week with our study. We're going to study Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 and 10, and going to look at the vision that John had when he looked at every nation, every tribe, and every tongue who were gathered, and they were unified around one thing, not their location from where they were born or grew up or the culture that they had, had taken on, but it was all centered around our God. And so our spiritual relationships and our spiritual friendships can have a lot of diversity and a lot of variety to them. We just have to be willing to experience that and willing to go after that. I think that's why later in the New Testament that the, uh, the epistles would be used to write to the church and encourage those who are the elder to pour into the younger and those who are younger to be looking to the elder for that example and that guidance. But doesn't that really give us all some some food for thought, the responsibility that we have to remain sharp, to remain solid, to remain spiritual so that the generation behind us cannot just be tampered with or, or, or hammered down with, but that we can genuinely pour into them? Uh, maybe our prayer this year would be that God would give us somebody from another generation that can become a spiritual friendship with us in this journey. The third thing, and then we're done, is that a spiritual friendship is one that is built and cultivated on trust. In verse number three, we go back to our text of 1 Samuel chapter 18. We see verse number three, Jonathan and David, they made a covenant because he, Jonathan, loved him as his own soul. Skip over to chapter number 20. What we find in chapter number 20 is that Uh, This is where Jonathan helps protect David. You remember the account and the story very well of what King Saul wanted to do to David. And so uh, Jonathan honestly didn't believe David at first. Remember when David is trying to tell him and and Jonathan's like, I don't know about that. That doesn't sound like dad. Are you really sure? And David said, well, let's, let's do a little test to the threat. And so the uncertainty surrounding David's place in the royal court comes to a head here in chapter number 20. 
Saul's attitude towards David is really hardening. He's thrown his spear. He's trying to eliminate him. And it's really getting ready to just all play out in front of all of Israel, where David will now be a fugitive on the run. And Saul will use every resource to his account in order to track him down. And so David must decide whether it is safe for him to even stay in the palace. Now, Jonathan is kind of blinded to the extent of his father's um, force, as we would see in chapter 20, verse 2 and 3. And so their conversation is building here, and David and Jonathan come to a, to a, to a plan together. And we would, sign, we would see in verses 4 through 7 of how they're going to reveal Saul's true intentions towards David. Now, the new moon festival, as we would see recorded here in the text, is clearly a key festival for the king and for all of his people. And so this was a big deal, which the members of the royal court were all expected to attend and to be there. And so they decide, Jonathan and David, that they should deliberately cause David to be absent from this moment to see how Saul would respond. They were wondering if Saul would just quickly pass by this and accept the fact that David was not a part of the event at that moment, or whether this would cause great angst against David and bring out the true feeling and emotions that Saul had against David. So Jonathan is taking all of this in. This is new territory for Jonathan, and and David and Jonathan are working through this. And so if Saul gets angry and gives this threat to David and confirms this, then Jonathan will communicate this to David for some great help. So in verse number 10, we ask the question, how will David find out? And so the two men go into a field, perhaps to escape being overheard in verse number 11, and they give out this plan of what is going to be done. They come together with this opportunity. So there is where Jonathan asked David to make a covenant with him. Look at verse 11. Then said David to Jonathan, who shall tell me, or or what if thy father answers thee roughly? And then Jonathan says unto David, well, come and let us go into the field. And so they went out, both of them, into the field. And Jonathan said unto David, O Lord God of Israel, when I have sounded my father about tomorrow, any time, or the third day, and behold, if there be a good toward David, and I then send not unto thee, and show it thee, The Lord do so and much more to Jonathan. But if it please my father to do thee evil, then I will show it thee and send thee away that thou mayest go in peace and the Lord be with thee as he hath been with my father. And thou shalt not only while yet I live show me the kindness of the Lord that I die not, but also that thou shalt not cut off thy kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord hath cut off the enemies of David, every one from the face of the earth. Verse 16, so Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, let the Lord even require it at the hand of David's enemies. And Jonathan caused David to swear again to promise because he loved him for he loved him as he loved his own soul. So as the story unfolds, We would see here this promise, and perhaps this is maybe the the fulfillment of the promise that they made in chapter 18. Maybe this was a part of the covenant that they had made, that they would stick together, that they would be continued to fulfill God's plan, that they would be obedient together, that they would be sensitive and uh, sensitive to God's leading. And now here's the opportunity for it to, to kind of all play out. You see, this friendship that is built and cultivated on trust 
is one that in our spiritual relationships, our spiritual friendships, we must look to always build it, to cultivate it, and allow it to flourish and to grow based on trust. Being sensitive to God's leading and being obedient to God's plan. Now, the Bible, it encourages us to have close, trusting, honest friendships between Christians And how can we do that? I mean, how do we truly cultivate that kind of friendship? In conclusion, I kind of jotted down four quick thoughts. I'm not going to really talk much about them other than to give you these thoughts of how do we cultivate these kinds of friendships. I think we need to pray for spiritual friendships. I think if we are serious about having somebody in our life that can be that encouragement, that can be that someone to go through life's journey with, If we would be willing to pray for that, I believe God in his right time and his right place would bring the right person to us. I was just reminded about Derek Williams. He's one of my dearest friends, and he's in Connecticut. And last night he called me, and as a friend that is really fulfilling these things, that sticks together through good and bad, that brings diversity, and that is one that is built and cultivated on trust, a guy that would just call to say, how are you doing? How are things going? Um, what you got planned tomorrow. And then as we conclude our conversation, we just have a word of prayer at the end. That's a friend that I prayed for for many years. And Natalie would remember that journey as being a youth pastor at Mikado. And God brought him on the, to the leadership team as the children's pastor. And that friendship just really blossomed and grew. And it is now, even though we've been in separate ministries for seven, eight years, um, God continues to grow that friendship. Another thing that we need to think about and how do we cultivate that kind of friendship is take intentional steps to avoid isolation in your Christian life. Take intentional steps to avoid isolation in your Christian life. Here's the reality. Too many Christians and too many people in God's church are more comfortable in isolation than in spiritual friendships because friendships take work. And isolation is really easy, but isolation is dangerous, and spiritual friendships will be protecting. And so we have to be willing to be intentional in order to avoid isolation in our Christian life. There are some of you in here that maybe you just need to sharpen your marriage so that you have a more open conversation about spiritual things with your spouse. That's taking an intentional step to avoid isolation in your Christian life. Some of you college students would benefit greatly if you would just open up to a mom and dad more often. Teenagers, some of you would take leaps of growth in your spiritual journey if you would be willing to partner with a parent who could come alongside of you to help you to be accountable to God and to take steps of growth in your spiritual journey. Grandmas and grandpas, some who would be classified in our seasoned age of life, it would do you well to be praying about how God wants to use you to continue to flourish and continue to grow and continue to invest in other people. Remember, Jonathan was 27, 28 years older than David. David would have been in his 20s. Jonathan would have been in his late 40s. Jonathan was 58 when he died when David took over the throne. And so look to a generation behind you, before you, 
to build a spiritual relationship. Then also study 1 Corinthians 13 and take steps of growth and steps of application. 1 Corinthians 13 is nestled between 12 and 14. That's a novel idea. But what happens here is that Paul is writing to a very messy church. I keep calling them messy church because there's a sermon series. We're going to just take the book of 1 Corinthians. It's going to be called Messy Church. I don't know when. It's on the schedule, but I can't promise you anything. That's up to God. But when we keep looking at the Corinthian church, Paul was writing to them as believers who just had one issue after another. But right in the middle of all of these conflicts and all of these trying to get along and humbling yourselves, chapter 12 about spiritual gifts, chapter 14 about ministry together, unity and getting along, right there nestled in between that message is chapter number 13. And really the chapter 13 of love is not some romantic love, although it's quoted at weddings often. It's not some relational love of, of, uh, of, of marriage or romance. What 1 Corinthians 13 is about is it's written to the church, it's written to the Christians, and it is written of how we need to love each other. And so that spiritual relationship starts with the 1 Corinthians 13. So study it, read it, and apply it. And then last, look to be that friend to someone else, even when it calls for sacrifice, selflessness, and time. Look at Jonathan. He sacrificed He was selfless, and he gave his time. Even in a moment in chapter 20 when he's like, ah, it doesn't sound like my dad. That doesn't sound right. He's really wanting you dead, but he stuck with the knitted together heart that said, let's work through this together. Let's continue to remain sensitive to God's leading, and let's always be obedient to God's plan. And because of that, God used Jonathan in a tremendous way. We honor God in our friendships by honoring one another above ourselves. So the journey together starts on Sunday nights with this spiritual friendship. Are you willing and ready to evaluate who you are and where you are in the matter of spiritual friendship? Father, thank you tonight for this study. And I thank you again for Jonathan and David, the example that they give. Thank you for an incredible selfless man like Jonathan. And thank you for the picture of Christ that he represents. Thank you that he was willing to sacrifice everything. He was selfless of his position, of his time, of his energy, and of his emotions. And he gave it all for the betterment of David. Jonathan put himself in a different position so that David could be seen to be prepared and ready. Thank you for the example they give to being sensitive to God's leading and obedient to God's plan. I pray that for us going into this new year that we would be sensitive to the spiritual friendships that we need to either continue to cultivate and grow or we need to look for, pray for, and to pursue and develop. Tonight as I finish, give us that time of application, reflection in Jesus' name.